holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. It's not that long since last we spoke. In fact, it was only yesterday because we had a special bonus Arscast, midweek bonus Arscast, with Ken Early from Second Captains, a kind of season review chat looking at the, the title race, the top four, the Champions League final, the Europa League final, and, uh, and lots more besides. And actually, we did talk at some length about the Henrik Mkhitaryan situation, which has dominated the news this week. It has dominated the headlines and the, the conversation around the Europa League final, which really is a shame for, you know, for so many reasons. Um, and I'm not really going to do too much on that today because we've talked it to death. Myself and James talked about it on Monday to an extent. And then on Tuesday evening, we talked about it on our live stream, our YouTube live stream for Patreon members, which you can get access to if you are an Arsplug member on Patreon. Uh, I also spoke quite a bit about it with Ken in yesterday's episode. So if you haven't heard it yet, that that's where you'll hear the uh, the discussion of, of that situation more than on today's podcast, even though it is very heavily focused towards the Europa League. I'm chatting with uh, Charles Watts of Goal. Uh, he is heading to Baku on Monday. He's got a hell of a trip ahead of him. We'll talk about that and look ahead to the game, of course, um, even though uh, I know we're going to talk about it on Monday, myself and James in the Arscast Extra, but some of the decisions that Unai Emery is going to have to uh, to make in terms of his team not least the goalkeeping situation. So we chat quite a bit about Petr Cech versus Bernd Leno uh, and who Unai Emery should pick for the game and who we think he will pick for the game. And uh, then we talk about, well, I don't suppose it's really a story per se, but Arsenal's managing director, Vinay Venkatesham, and the head of football, Raul Senya, he sat down for two, uh, well, for one lengthy interview, which was broken up into two parts. And there was a lot of stuff to come out of it. Some of it was like, okay, we've heard all this before, you know, the KSE stuff and, and what have you. But there was some stuff about transfers and the structures of the club and how we're going to get business done this summer, um, which was which was quite interesting because we haven't really heard a great deal from any Body, and we've been left in the dark as fans because Sven Mislintad has left and we know that we tried to bring in Monchi and that didn't work and then Edu, is he coming, is he not? It seems that he is, but it won't be till after the Copa America. Who is making the decisions? Uh, what are we going to do when the transfer window opens? And they gave us some insight into that. You know, they talked about trimming the wage bill and they talked about you know being efficient with the wage bill which I think gives you a big hint about what they might want to do. So Charles and I talk uh, quite a bit about that as well and the impressions that we took from the interviews. The one thing that struck me above everything else, though, from these interviews was Raul Sanyehi's voice. He sounds like a man who has smoked 
What's that, that brand of uh, Spanish cigarettes? Um, Ducados. Ducados were a very popular brand of cigarette when I was living there. He sounds like he smokes about 60 of those every single day slash hour, perhaps. I had no idea from looking at him what he sounded like. Sometimes you can look at somebody and you say, I kind of know what you sound like just because what you look like, but I had no idea what Raul Sanyehi sounds like. If you haven't seen the video and you haven't heard him speak yet. Here's a little clip. This is quite an interesting clip talking about some of our, our transfer plans for the summer, but you'll get a good idea of what I'm talking about when it comes to his voice as well. We're very clear on what our priorities are. Uh, we are already in the market. We're already talking with, with uh, the people that can help us to cover those positions. And uh, I feel quite strong. It's going well. The image that Arsenal has in, in the football world is very strong. Uh, Vinay was mentioning we're a top world club, and we are, so we need to go where we belong, and that's the Champions League. And many players really want us to be there also when we're talking with them. But I feel quite strong on, on the inputs that I'm getting so far. I, I do believe that we have a very good plan to cover those positions, to be much stronger next year, uh, to deliver the success that we're all hoping for. Oh my God, it sounds incredible. Imagine talking like that all the time. It will get very painful very quickly because you are doing this. It sounds like you are trying to squeeze out a bit of poo that will not come out and you are on the edge of the seat doing this. And oh, oh there we go. Some voice, eh? Some voice. He talks a good game, does Raul Sanyehi. I gotta give him that. However, with the caveat that we have been in the position before where people, uh, you know, at the top of the club, more or less, talked a much better game than they actually played. You know what I mean. So uh, this is our tunnel area. So, you know, there's an element of once bitten or twice bitten or five times bitten, twice shy or whatever the hell it might be in those circumstances. I really, really, really want to believe. I do. I want to believe that these guys can absolutely deliver what they say they are going to deliver and how they're going to deliver it. Because, you know, hope is a good thing. Hope is a positive thing. It gives you something to cling on to. I remember Ian Wright on this podcast saying, if you don't have hope, what the fuck have you got? Uh, and the answer is despair and emptiness and uh, a vacuum of opportunity and possibility. That's the, that's the stark answer to that. But, you know, I want to believe and I want to have that hope going into to this summer. But at the same time, you know, we have heard people say things before that have not been backed up. We're now very much in a situation where actions must speak louder than words. We're great at talking. We will be the Champions League winners of talking about how things are going to be brilliant. And what we actually need to do is put in place things which do actually make things brilliant. It's Sanyehi's first summer in charge um, of football things at this, uh, this club. So, you know, I'm going to step back. I'm going to wear a slightly cynical expression and then just wait and see what happens and after that then we can make some judgments but i think as much as i worry about where we're going uh 
with the ownership and the budgets that we have in play and how much we need to do and, you know, not having a head of recruitment per se and not having a technical director yet and all that kind of stuff. It's hard not to worry. It is hard not to worry. But at least they've come out and they've said stuff. And that's better than saying nothing. So that's a little bit of a step forward. And then we see, we just see what the what the summer brings. And after the despair and the the vacuum of hope and possibility. But we'll cross that terrible, lonely, dark, grey bridge when we come to it. Right, let's get on with the show. And joining me today to uh, to talk it all out is uh, Charles Watts from Goal. Hi, Charles. Hi, Andrew. Good to speak to you again, mate. And you, we were just talking before we came on about your <laughs> your trip to Baku next week, um, which I, I figured was going to be a little bit challenging. But from what you've just told me, it's uh, <laughs> it's worth repeating again. If you could tell people what you're going to – people sort of, uh, I guess, in some ways would say the life of a journalist going to a football match, covering a football match, going to a press conference, you know, it seems pretty – I suppose glamorous in a way because it's it's quite a cool thing and it's a very cool job, but um, maybe they don't quite realise how, how much you've got on your plate next week. So you're yeah, yeah. you're leaving fair, leaving it's London not, on Monday. Yeah, it's not all that it seems. It's not as glamorous as it seems. Certainly not even not just going abroad, but the English side of things, going to doing from doing from matches, living in motorway service stations and all that. It's going to be an epic journey. Look, I, first of all, I don't want to complain too much about it because I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm not having to pay for, for what I'm going to have to go, go through to get to Baku and get back from it, unlike the Arsenal fans who are heading over there shelling out ridiculous amounts yeah. of money to go to a football match. Um, so, yeah, I fly out on Monday from Heathrow uh, to Moscow. We've got about a seven-hour wait in Moscow. Um, and I get to Baku about 5 a.m. on Tuesday morning. Um, then that Tuesday I got the press conference and the training session and stuff. And then that night is going to be pretty much the only night where I think I might get a little bit of sleep. Um, so next day, next day's Wednesday, so the game kicks off at eleven o'clock that night. Finish one o'clock, two o'clock of extra time. Then press conference, celebrations, player interviews, and stuff. Leave about four a.m. Check out that morning on a Thursday morning. Then have to wait until the following Friday morning at five a.m. to fly back to Moscow. Another long way in Moscow, and then eventually get home. About I think it's about one o'clock on Friday UK time. So yeah, it's not it's not pretty. It's going to be pretty horrific. No sleep from the Monday morning really <laughs> for five days. It's not going to be much fun, but but you got to do it, haven't you? And uh, I, you know, there was a chance at one point I wasn't going to get over there because of just availability and price and everything like that. Yeah. And, so I'm happy that I'm going and then I am there and hopefully I'm going to see Arsenal win the first European competition since uh, since that glorious day against Parma. But um, but yeah, I'm, I think by the time I get back, I'm going to certainly feel like I need a few days off. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it does put into into sort of um, real clarity the the issues that people are having to go uh, to go to this final, whether they're working as a journalist or whether they're a fan, you know, Um the the ones who are going are are, are very very dedicated. Uh, it has to absolutely, be said. Absolutely, I mean, look, look, I'm sure you've covered it loads in in previous yeah. uh, podcasts and everything. But it's just the whole thing's such a farce. Is it is? I mean, I just can't. I can't believe everything that's going wrong or is 
that is wrong about this final is just so many things stacking up and it's, it's just it's such a ridiculous it is, situation and it, decision from UEFA. Yeah, I mean, there just seems to be so much going on with this because you think about, you know, Arsenal in a European final and what it should be is a glorious celebration of football and a brilliant opportunity and a, a day of real excitement. And look, don't get me wrong, and I'm sure you're the same and everyone listening is the same, that when this game comes around and the, uh, the, the, the game kicks off, the whistle blows we're all going to be absolutely enraptured by what happens on the pitch and excited and enthralled and everything else but when you consider the ticket allocation the fact that we can't even sell half of our ticket allocation fans being excluded from uh azerbaijan because of having armenian heritage the henrik mkhitaryan situation the difficulty and the cost for arsenal fans and for chelsea fans to get to azerbaijan to baku to get there and back for a european final um what else yeah, the petr Cech thing for example which we might talk about in, in a moment where you know the goalkeeper who's likely to start in goal for arsenal against Chelsea, a story emerges during the week that he's going back to Chelsea as a sporting director in the summer. Um, uh, we'll leave that to one side just for the moment, but there is just this weight of, of so many things going on around the game that that are such a distraction from what it should be. Yeah, I mean, no one's focusing on the actual match, and what match it is, Arsenal beat Chelsea in the European final, and it's a massive occasion. It's, and you think if this game was being played somewhere accessible, just somewhere in mainland Europe, you'd have you'd be having over a hundred thousand fans probably going over there, and you yeah, thousands, tens of thousands without tickets, just watching it in the city, which I'm sure the Champions League final in Madrid's going to be like. And the fact that between Arsenal and Chelsea, only six thousand tickets have been sold. It just just sums it up. It's just farcical. It's just not right. It's not it's not an acceptable situation for everything you've just listed. I mean, the fact that Arsenal's second highest earning player can't play in a match, and people say, "Oh, it's his choice." It's not his choice. If it's his choice, he's going to be playing in a European final. He's not going to want to miss this game. Of course, um, but he doesn't feel safe, and he has every right not to feel safe. And for all the bluster coming out of UEFA and from the Azerbaijan EFA. And saying, so "Oh, we can guarantee his safety." You can't guarantee his safety. You absolutely can't. He's literally the biggest star in Armenia, aside from the president of Armenia going to this game. There's no biggest. There's no bigger personality in that country than Henrik Mkhitaryan, and it's no surprise he doesn't feel safe going over there. And that should never ever be allowed to happen. Yeah. UEFA's UEFA's mantra isn't it it's all football's open to everyone and well it's clearly not it's not open to fans who can't get there it's not open to a certain player of a team, a team in the final it's just that the whole thing's a joke and it's such a shame because it should be so excited about European finals you know I've, I've been to three of them following, following Arsenal not as a reporter back then it was, more, it was a fan back then yeah um Unfortunately, the only one I missed was Palmer. I've been to the three that we've lost. But, uh, <laughs> don't go to Baku, mate. <laughs> I know, don't go. I shouldn't have gone. I shouldn't have gone to Baku. I should have stayed at home. Um, but the feeling before those finals, the excitement of, of getting there and mm. just building up to it all, and there's been none of that this time, and it's, it's such a shame. It's not right. And I, I, I'd love to say I hope you for learn from it, but I think we all know that they're not going to. Mm, they're probably not. I mean, how do you feel this is, uh, as much as we're in some ways... I won't say obsessed, but this is very much a focus for for us as fans. And, 
you know, um, what the experience is like for us and what many fans are having to miss out on because of where the game is being played. You know, it is an opportunity. You don't get these very often to go and see a, a European final. So for so many fans, you know, to be excluded um, for, for various reasons, um, you know, that's kind of been what we're we're focused on. But within London Colney, within the Arsenal group, how do you think their preparations are going. I mean, the the Mkhitaryan thing, for example, is clearly something that the players feel very strongly about at the media day the other day. Lauren Koscielny hit out at UEFA. Uh, Nacho Monreal as well said, you know, it's not right that a player can't go and play for for political reasons. Um, but he also he also mentioned something um, that when they started the campaign and they knew the final was in Baku, they pretty much knew all along that Mkhitaryan was was not going to be able to go if we got there. That was their understanding of the situation right from the very start, regardless of what assurances were put in place by UEFA or Arsenal or, or, or the Azerbaijani end of things. So they kind of knew that all along. So I'm not sure this is this is a shock to them, but do you think it, it could be a distraction in any way or are they going to be really focused on trying to make up for the fact that he's not there? I think in the in a sort of Colney bubble, you know, once they get out away from the media and away from the questions, once they're at the trading pitch, I don't think it, it would be too much of a distraction. I think Emery will be very... You know, he knows what it takes to win this competition. I'm sure as soon as he gets out on the training pitch, he's just focused purely on the final and making sure that the players are uh, focused on it as well. So I don't think it's going to be too much of a distraction. I mean, I think it's a big thing because I think he could have played. I think he might well have started. All be, all, if everyone was available, you know, at the mm. moment, there's obviously no Ramsey. But when you think back to the game at the Emirates between the two and how important Ramsey's role was in that game, if, if Emery's going to replicate that sort of formation and have someone sitting tight on... Um, Jorginho in that sort of uh, in the holding role of the yeah. Chelsea midfielder almost the player who dictates the play you know Ramsey was all over him at the Emirates constantly on him on him not giving him any time to get his head up and dictate anything if Emery's going to try and replicate that you think the, the player best best served to do that would probably be Mkhitaryan it's not going to be it wouldn't be Ozil I don't think out of choice that's not Ozil's his not that sort of yeah, player is he's, he's not, not gonna, no he's not he's not going to harass um uh, Jorginho for the entire 90 minutes but I think Mkhitaryan you know, he's, he's got a good work ethic and you get more in and around his face and try and stop disrupt things so I think it's a big blow I, I you know everyone thinks that Ozil's start I was presuming Ozil's start I wasn't so sure I thought Mickey might well have started and, you know, now there's even an option of possibly putting a Wobie there instead of Ozil but I imagine it will be it will be Ozil now but I think I think it's certainly going to disrupt Emery's plans that he would have, he would have loved to have had and you go back to the semi-final when Mkhitaryan came on in in Mustai, he was very very good in that last twenty five minutes, and uh, he set up a goal. And just that that showing alone showed how important it was. Even if he wasn't going to start in Baku, to have the option on the bench, it's a massive thing. So it is a, it is a real shame, and it's a, it is a you know Emery won't be happy about the situation. He's not happy about the situation, but yeah. in terms of a distraction and everything that's going on at the moment, aside from it, I think. I think once the players are away from the media and not having to field questions about it all the time, I don't think it's going to disrupt things too much. Uh, it does look, though, as if Danny Welbeck might be fit. 
and ready to play. As we're talking on Thursday, Arsenal are playing a behind-closed-doors game against an Austrian side, and uh, our good friend David Ornstein revealed last week, or during the week, that they played another behind-closed-doors game and Welbeck scored a hat-trick. I don't know who that was against. Do you know who that was against? No, Arsenal, no. Arsenal aren't spilling the beans. They're not spilling the beans. Keeping quiet. So clearly they're trying to get some minutes into you know Welbeck and also the, the team because there's such a gap between the end of the Premier League season and and this final but uh, as much as Mkhitaryan would be amiss having someone like Danny Welbeck on the bench uh, you know I don't think he's in any way ready to start nor should he after su- such a long time out of the game but you know if there's 20 minutes to go in a final and we need a goal you know, with all due respect to Eddie and Kettia, I think I'd rather bring on you know a, a full England international who ha- has plenty of experience and has the kind of qualities that could cause a little bit of chaos in the in the Chelsea defence. Yeah, and what a story that would be! Oh yeah, Eddie Welbeck coming on after he could that, do a Leicester. He could do a Leicester. Leicester. Yeah, you? I mean, he, that was his first game back. He hadn't played at all. Yeah, before that's he came right. Scored that header in the last minute, so. <laughs> he's got he's got previous um, I mean it'd be great I, you know, I, I'm a big Danny Welbert fan I think Arsenal should be keeping him I actually think they're making a mistake letting him go but um, uh, yeah he, he's, if he's, I've seen training with the team for a fair while now it's about a month I think he's been in full training like, and like David Austin said if he's he played that game, scored a hat trick. He'll certainly be involved today as well, I imagine. So I think he's got a very good chance of going. I mean, you can name twelve subs in the Europa League final. So yeah. it would, if he's fit, then I'm, I'm sure he definitely will go. And like you say, as as, as promising as Eddie is, and um, I think he's been a little bit unlucky, Eddie, this season. He could easily have ended the season with you know five, six goals for the senior side uh, rather than one, but. Uh, 20 minutes to go, you need a goal. Like, like I said, I think you bring Danny Welbeck on for his work rate, for his aerial ability and uh, just for his experience. I think it would be a real real big and unexpected boost, really, if he, if he is involved. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'd be very happy to have him on the bench um, because without Mkhitaryan, we are lacking an experienced uh, attacking option, presuming, of course, that he is going to start Lacazette and Aubameyang together, which, uh, of course, I, I think he will. Um, I think he will, yeah. yeah. I think he'd be mad not to. I think you go back to that performance in Mestire, and, um I think they'll try and pretty much go with that, that system now that Mickey's not there. You'll have Ozil behind those two and Torreira mm. Xhaka, and then the defence you know, picks itself, really. I'd have... I'd have Leno in goal, but yeah. You know, well, here, here yeah, see, this is the check. question. This is the question. Then many people are talking about this, and they're talking about you know whether Petr Cech should start. Um, in what would he be? He shouldn't start. It's as simple as that. He shouldn't yeah. start. Um, I will, and I understand the thing. It's not. It's nothing new for Arsenal. We've been through this plenty of times with the FA Cup finals in, in the wins recently, haven't we? When the, the Arsenal second choice keepers started in goal under Wenger, um, but he shouldn't start. It's a massive game. It's worth. Millions of pounds for Arsenal. The, the next couple of seasons could be shaped by what happens in Baku. And you're going to be starting a goalkeeper who you freely accept is not your best goalkeeper. It's yeah. just a baffling situation to me. It, it is one of those things that I've struggled with over the last number of years, particularly with cup finals. You know, when Fabianski started over Chesney, when Ospina started over Czech. You know, we, we, we've got away with it to an extent. Um, but I do feel and always have felt that your best goalkeeper, your number one goalkeeper should start in a game of this importance. And I I don't, for one second, have any doubt whatsoever about Petr Cech's professionalism, about his desire to win the game, regardless of what's happening with him this summer. 
if he's going back to Chelsea, it doesn't mean that he's going to, you know, be subconsciously willing to underperform or whatever it is. You know, I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. Where I where I stand on the the matter, just purely pragmatically, is you play your absolute best team in a final, and Bernd Leno is our best goalkeeper. And I think he should play. And, you know, I say that and there's part of me that kind of feels a little bit bad for Petr Cech because I can see what an amazing thing it would be for him in his final game to win a trophy, uh, a European trophy with Arsenal, to go out on an absolute high. You can see from everything that he said during the course of this season and recently via his Twitter account that he really, really wants this. He really wants this. You know, as a 37-year-old, he's won pretty much everything there is to win in football, but still, he, he views this as his his last great day, a way to call time on his career. And, you know, for that reason, I think about it. I think about him and what a, what a stand-up guy he is, what a great professional he is. Um, all of those, he seems like a really, really decent guy, but I also think he should start on the bench. <laughs> it's exactly right. I mean, it is everything you mentioned there is right about Perry. He's a he's a fantastic human being. I mean, you get some footballers, you meet a lot of footballers doing the job that I do, who just think, oh, this is going to be awful. He's not going to care about talking to us. He's not going to really give us what, tell us what he really thinks about situations. He's just going to spill out the usual media-trained waffle that you get from a lot of these players. But you sit down with Peter Cech and you get someone who mm. really tells you what he believes he speaks articulately he's, he's just a he's just a really interesting good man who um who bucks a trend really in terms of how he deals with the media compared to a lot of footballers so I've, I've got so much respect for him professionally and um personally as well but he's not the Arsenal's best goalkeeper so you start your best goalkeeper I mean you wouldn't you wouldn't leave say you get there was a similar situation where you've been playing a certain forward for, for some games, but as soon as you get towards the, the um, business end of a competition, you're going to play your best draw. You didn't, you'd, you'd never be getting get into a situation where you're thinking, I'm not going to play a Bamiyang because yeah. I've given Nick, Eddie Nicotera a few games in this competition, have I? So why, why would you do it with a goalkeeper? It well, the, go- the golf isn't quite that big, but I do know what you mean. I, yeah, I do yeah. know what you mean. It's just, and for Czech, it's, it, he's so excited about it. In the mix zone, after the win in Valencia, he was coming through. As he always does, and talks to the media while a lot of the other players just disappear with their heads down. But he'll come over and talk and give his views. And the Chelsea game had obviously gone to extra time against Frankfurt, and then went to penalty shootouts. And he stood with us when not as he was a bit further down the line with some foreign reporters, and he watched the penalty shootout on the phone on the guy's phone. I uh, was watching it live to see, and you could see he was so he so wanted Chelsea to win because he's just desperate to finish his career with Arsenal with Chelsea. He's felt he's felt for a long time, and he said it openly. Mm. He feels like it's his destiny to finish his career playing oh. for the playing in this match. And so, obviously, if Emery were to turn around and say you're starting on the bench, he'd be heartbroken, he'd be devastated. But you can't. There's surely no room for sentiment in in f- football, especially when there's so much on the line. I mean, you can't get away from the fact that how big. This match is for Arsenal, the, for Emery, for everyone. For yeah, for Emery, I think the the failure to reach top four might complicate the decision in his mind. Like I, I pretty much expect him to play Czech. I think he'll start Czech. Yeah, I'm I think very, he, very surprised. I he think he if. will start Czech, mm. but I also think maybe what's happened with this leak 
which we can, I think we can safely say came from the Chelsea side of things. You know, they uh, saw Arsenal having a really difficult week and decided to stick the knife in a bit, you know, via the media. By I'm really- not so sure about it. I don't no. know. I, I'm, I've been with a few. I was actually with a Chelsea reporter when that's when Sky ran. I mean, that story's not nothing new. It's been out for a while. Like, yeah. Or ran it a while ago. Our Chelsea guy, Nazir, ran it about a week earlier. Then Sky obviously decided to run it that day, go big on it that day. And right. From what I've heard from a lot of Chelsea reporters, that Chelsea have been, you know, d- desperate to avoid the situation that they're suddenly in now. Well, maybe I'm being overly uh, uh, sort of protective of them, and I shouldn't, and I shouldn't be because you know I've got no uh, no feelings towards Chelsea. But I'm not sure. It's e- I think it's. It's easy to think it's come from them, but I'm not sure yeah. it has. I mean, well, it's an open secret. It is. It Agents, has, everyone knows about it. Yeah. I got a, an email, and I apologize to the guy in question, or maybe I wasn't allowed to say, but I got an email maybe two months ago, perhaps more. Um, this season has gone by so fast, I can I can barely remember. But it was uh, – he was in a hotel in, in Cobham, um, and Petr Cech was there with a Chelsea delegation. And they were obviously discussing this job opportunity. Um, and that was two or three months ago. So it has been out in the open for quite a while. I just wonder, you know, if... It was interesting, the timing of it, for Sky to suddenly yeah, get really big that's, it. That's right. right. It was, just a little, bit, a little bit suspicious. Just in terms of uh, what, what people think, we did a little poll on Arsblog News about who should play in goal, whether it's Petr Cech or Bernd Leno. Bernd Leno, 62%. Petr Cech, 38%. That is a referendum result that nobody could argue with. Um, no, I'm surprised that <laughs> Cech even got 38%. I, I think, you know, I think if you said Bernd Leno or um, Manuel Almunia, there might be a, a larger discrepancy. I think Petr Cech um, has performed pretty well all has, in all yeah, this yeah. season, you know, and I think people can 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 see the human situation of this. You know, as much as we all want to be ruthless and we want to say, play your best goalkeeper, which is essentially what we've said, you know, it it, it feels almost like kicking a puppy at the same time, which is where I, I guess a lot of people There's are There's an argument as well conflicted. about how the dressing room will take it. Check's very, very popular and yeah. Yeah, Emery's made this promise and then suddenly goes back on him. He, you know, a lot of the teammates might think a little bit less of Emery and it might disrupt things even, even more ahead of a final, perhaps. So there is that. Yeah. There is that side of things to to come into it. I mean, I sat down with Bernd Leno a few weeks ago in London Colney actually did, did a, a, an interview and I asked him, you know, would you would you reject the opportunity having not played in aside from the first couple of group games, uh, would you turn down the opportunity out of respect for Petr Cech? It was kind of similar to the Ben Foster situation with Watford and Foster said he wouldn't he wouldn't play even if he was asked to by Gracia because he, Gomez, he thought Gomez deserved to start in the FA Cup final and, and Leno, he was... It's very uh, pretty much said to me. No, no way. I would never reject that chance. Finals don't come around too often. I'd play straight away. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, but I don't think Leno would have any uh, have any problems with it. No, nor should he. I mean, he's a professional, and you know, if he's selected, he's asked to do the job, and you get out there and you do the job. You know, it's not on him to to decide who plays in in goal in a cup final. You know, if Emery says I'm going to go with you, then then you know that's it. Uh, the Foster Gomez thing was a bit weird, actually, but. Um, you know, uh, look, we, we'll see what happens. I do think it is going to be um, check, but we'll uh, we'll wait and see. And no doubt, this is a story that will crop up again over the over the coming days before we get to to next Wednesday. Just moving away from Europa League 
to something more in-house. And, and this week we saw uh, Arsenal's head of football, Raul Senyehi, and the uh, managing director, Vinay Venkatesham, uh, speak at length to uh, the club, an in-house interview done in two parts. Um, some of it was a bit like, mm, we've heard all this before, particularly when it came to the owners and, and what have you. But there was a lot of interesting stuff, I thought, around transfers and transfer business and how we're going to get things done and how long we've been planning to get things done. So before we just talk about some of, some of the specifics in that regard, what what did you make of the interview with, with these two guys? Because we've had a number of years of our chief executive talking a great game about what Arsenal want to be and how we're going to be that and how we're going to get there and, you know, the old tropes about being as big as Bayern Munich and uh, being able to compete, rather, with Bayern Munich and all that stuff that we heard from Ivan Gazidis, who who, uh, who talked a good game, but there's a sort of corporate doublespeak to a lot of it, or there was anyway, and you can understand people uh, being cynical about hearing the right things because we now are in a situation where we need to see the right things being done. Now that will manifest itself over the course of, of this summer, but how did you view the interview with those two guys and just what were your impressions of, of what they said about the club and, and how they want to run things? I thought it was quite, I thought what they said was quite interesting. Like you, like you, uh, like you said, I, I, I'm not an Ivan Gazidis fan. I've been pretty vocal in that, um, that I think Arsenal are better off with him now. Now in Milan, waffling away like he does, and um, I, you know, I've, I've spoke to Raúl a couple of times in the media room at the Emirates, Vina as well, and you know, they're very passionate people. They've got a really good vision for the club. It's it, it, what I came across in those interviews yesterday or the last couple of days was um, the need that Arsenal are going to have to be very sort of clever going forward in the, yeah. in the market now, which is is absolutely 100% the case. It, they're going to have to be clever because finances are, are, are very restricted given they've been outside the Champions League for at least for two years now. And if they don't win in Baku, it's going to be three, which is going to make things very difficult. So the only way that yeah. they're going to get close the gap on the on the top teams, which is massive domestically and European, um, is, is by being very clever in the market and how they go about doing business. And... Um, I thought that was that was very interesting the way they came across and the stuff on Ramsey's contract as well. I thought he was you know, very open on that and uh, again sort of hinting towards the mistakes of the previous regime. Um, and I mean, he basically said that they they were about to push the button with or Ivan was about to push the button to Ramsey's contract, wasn't he? And then yeah. right at the last minute, they decided once Ivan had gone that. Um, they couldn't do it. It was going to damage the club too much as Erzul's, Erzul's one has. So I thought that was quite a, an interesting sort of side of the uh, whole interview because you look at the situation Arsenal are in now with Mesut Erzul. I mean, it's, it's a disastrous situation, really. They've got a player they don't want. He's raking in obscene amounts of money. He's going to be raking in obscene amounts of money for another two years because no one's going to take him. And, uh, and you know, he doesn't want to go unless he's, he's quite rightly doesn't want to go. I'm not sure anyone would want to go if they're getting 350 grand a week in London. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, he's just basically saying we've got to avoid those, pre- those, those previous mistakes. We've got to turn things around. We can't run the club, run the way the club has been. Um, the wage bill, he said, they both said was, was too much. And although Vino, I said, you know, it showed the power of Arsenal that they can have a wage bill running at the, at the money it has. The fact is it's hampering them 
and yeah. it's going to continue to hamper them until they they bring that down. And we, yeah. Um, Look, that is clearly an issue. They, they they want to use the wage bill more efficiently, and that, I think, will inform a lot of what we do this summer and uh, potentially how we do it. Were you... I mean, what was your take on, on uh, Raul when he talked about our transfer business in relation to being either in the Champions League or the Europa League? Um, and he said, you know, if for example, we're not in the Europa League. And then he said, I, you know, but that's not going to happen. I can't see how that wouldn't happen, uh, which was quite a nice little piece of confidence ahead of the, the Europa League final. But he didn't sound like somebody who was overly worried that the summer plans we have, and he said, we've got a very good plan. They've been putting things in place. They've been talking to agents. You know, they're they're in the market, I think was the, the phrase that he said. Um, he didn't sound like somebody concerned that lack of Champions League football would affect the ability to do what he feels we need to do this summer. So can we read much into that in terms of perhaps the profile of the players that we're targeting and also the money that we might be getting ready to shell out on those particular players. Because if we do qualify for the Champions League, there is a significant increase in cash and revenue that we could bank on in order to um, fund transfer business. Yeah, but... I think he's going to say that. I mean, I think it was quite interesting that the season ticket renewals went out on the same day as, one, as the second. Yeah. I don't think he's going to he's going to say, "Look, we're not going to, be able to sign anyone." Really, there's no doubt about it. If Arsenal don't win in in Baku, that their um, transfer business is going to be is going to be hit in terms of what they want to do in the summer. They'll have different sort of lists drawn up in terms of who they want for the if they've get got an extra forty, fifty, sixty million that you could you will have if if you're in the Champions League. Um, then if you just got a sort of straight up original budget of forty million, which obviously can be supplemented by player sales and things like that, but yeah, um, I think you, you're kind of looking at Champions League. You're looking at players potentially like Wilfred Zaha. If you're in the Europa League, you're looking at players potentially like Ryan Fraser. So I think it's, it's very. There's definitely a different way of um, going in the market in terms of where Arsenal are playing. They are they are actively looking at the moment. They are they are. Um, you know they're exploring. They've got targets. William Saliba at St. Etienne. They're very, very keen on the young defender, and that's the sort of player that they're looking at. They really want to lower the age, age, uh, average age of the squad. They kind of view it as it's an aging squad. It's a pretty unbalanced squad as well, and they want to sort that out. So Gabriel Martinelli, the young Brazilian forward, is going to come in. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much been done. That will happen next month when he turns eighteen. Um, Martinelli again, eighteen. Rube solid prospect. I mean, I don't know too much about him as a player. I haven't seen much of him, but people that I've spoken to about him, you know, say he's, he looks like the real deal. He could go on and be a, a genuine star. And I think that is the sort of player. You look at Guendouzi last summer, that sort of signing. Yeah. If Arsenal are going to get back competing with the top, they need to be clever in the market. They need to sign those sort of players, even if it is just to generate income a few years down the line when you sell them on. And you sort of look at the Liverpool model and how they've been able to sort themselves out by signing a fairly low cost and then being able to sell those on at high cost and then reinvest that money in the squad and you know they've done that very very well in recent season with some of their sales and I think that's what Arsenal have to be looking at and Raul and Vinay both spoke about that you know it's not just about signing players but it's also being able to sell players on at a decent amount of money that you can reinvest in the squad because you know old Stan over in the US he's not going to be digging into his pocket anytime soon and 
putting his own money in. So any money that Arsenal are going to want to spend in the transfer market, they have to earn it themselves either via competitions they're playing in, sponsorship, commercial deals. We're seeing that boosted a little bit this summer with Adidas and Emirates or by raising money through player sales. So yeah. it's good. they've got to sort themselves out. I, I, I was speaking to an agent yesterday and he was not he didn't paint quite as good a picture of in terms of where <laughs> Arsenal are in the market right now compared to some of their rivals. He said that it's quite a confusing outlook at Arsenal in Wait. terms of who's doing what. So many people are doing different jobs. People are negotiating with different people. No one really knows who's heading it up. So I think right. the key thing here, Edu's not going to come until after the Copa America and you, you just need to get that key figure in place. You can kind of run these things point everyone in the direction of where the club wants to go because at the moment you've got a lot of people there but no one really heading it all up and so I think they really need to get the technical director in place now and, and then they can let Raul do what he does best because he's not a technical director he's admitted that himself Yeah. And, and then you can really move forward so I think Arsenal taking a bit of a risk they obviously they've decided on Edu that it's going to happen barring a massive Monchi-esque turn of a (laughs) change of mind right at the last minute which I don't think anyone's expecting that now I mean Brazil already looking at their replacements for Eddie already so that will happen but it's going to happen right at the end of the transfer window which isn't ideal No uh, look I don't think we can really um we're not going to see the impact that Edu has on the technical direction of the club um, until until maybe January or, or next year. Next um, year, probably. Which, of course, you know, um, uh, doesn't do us m- much good in terms of this summer. But certainly, Sanya, he was talking a good game uh, about what we're going to do this summer and how we're going to do it. So, you know, the proof of the pudding will be um, come the, the start of start of uh, the Premier League season when we see what we've got. I mean, maybe there's a, an element of Edu being involved with this guy Martinelli, but uh, I think we were interested in him from maybe January um, uh, of this year. There were, were yeah, rumours about him. Yeah, I was very much pushed that one. He's, um, you know, he's basically doing Sven's job since Sven left. He's, he's technically the head of international recruitment, but he has been the head of recruitment since since Sven left, and it looks yeah. like he will get that job permanently. And He's very got. He's got really strong South American contacts, and so's Raúl as well. So yeah. it'll be interesting if Arsenal really start going down the South American route now, because you think with Raúl, Francis, and now Edu coming in, they're going to be they're going to know an awful lot about football, and that's far out of the world. So yes. it'll be interesting if uh, they can get around the work permit issues with with some of them. If we're going to see much more of a South American influence coming into the club, yeah. I mean, look, you can get over the work permit thing by what well, I think it's the 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 value of the signing. If it's ten million or more, you get a work permit automatically. Isn't that the the rule? That's um, that's sure important. That's well, that's, I, I I think that was the rule that was put in place. Um, I mean, with with Martinelli, obviously, he's got he's, he's got Italian his Italian passport from one of his parents or something like that. Well, so hopefully, that, hopefully, he's not from right. Silvino, uh, where he got that Italian or passport. <laughs> Uh, just, just finally, I, I think one of the other, the other things that that struck me when they were talking about the development of the club and how they're going to rebuild the squad and 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 what way the club is going to operate in the future, they were very, very strong on the academy, on developing players through the academy, bringing players through who, you know, as they say, uh, you know, understand what it means to be an Arsenal player because they've grown up at the club and, and all that stuff. And we can all identify with that because that's a great thing where you've got a young player who comes through the academy and, and uh, you know, has got 
an Arsenal heart, if you like. But they also talked about it being a cost-effective way of of bringing players through to the squad. Um, and that, I think, is an interesting part of it. But it does seem as if they are determined to try and provide opportunities for some of the young players that we have at the moment because there is a really interesting crop of young talent coming through that could very well provide the club with a players who can fit into the first team squad and also players who might fit in for a season or two but then get sold off to mid-table Premier League clubs but you know bring in a a fairly substantial amount of income so uh, I wonder you know are they looking at it from that point of view as well not simply players who can play in the team but as assets if you like who can boost the coffers I think they probably most definitely I mean they spent an awful lot of money at Hayland in the last few years and they want to see that investment start paying off in terms of are you getting players into the first team or like you say selling them on and making a decent profit on them um, I, I I agree I thought it was interesting what he said the last time I spoke to Raul in the media room before one of the games this season I was asking him about Barcelona and he was he was talking about how you know that was a team that was essentially built around an academy and you know players coming through from the academy they didn't have to spend that much on it because they had this amazing talented group come through who mm. all were sort of bled Barcelona colours you know knew exactly what the club was about and um, didn't have to be taught it they just knew it automatically because they'd been there it'd been built into them since they were sort of eight years old so and he was saying he wanted to replicate that at Arsenal my my big issue with it is I, I really it's my one negative I've really got about you know I, mean, I don't think he's given enough of those youngsters a chance this season because we'd be Arsenal been desperately crying out for wide attackers it's been really hampering them in terms of going forward and I know he's young Bukayo Saka and Amici as well he's really really talented kids and yet he didn't play he didn't play him at all really I mean Saka he, he had one run out in the Premier League didn't he and he had to start in the Europa League but I, th- I think he could have got more opportunities because he's especially Amici you know he's out of contract next season same as Tyrese John Jules and it's not a foregone conclusion that they're going to sign new deals because they are wanted it's a real change in the picture of how English clubs at the moment because these academy lads they used to sit around and wait for their opportunity but they're not going to do that now and there's so many European clubs interested in these in these uh, not just Arsenal players but everywhere across England yeah and they see how talented the group that the teenagers that are being produced in England are now I mean Sancho's obviously the, the flag bearer and these players are looking at them and looking at Sancho and seeing the success he's had by you know leaving Man City taking the decision to leave there and go abroad and and they want to. They want that. They want a bit. They want a bit of that success. I don't think you know. Not all of them are going to go and enjoy the success that Sancho has. But you know, they're getting clubs knocking on the door. Big, big European clubs knocking on the door, and they're re- and they're coming to them with a real plan for their future. You know, step by step. This is this is your progression plan. This is how you're going to get into the first team. This is what we see you doing. But in England, it's it's not. They're struggling to get those players into the first team. And I think Arsenal had an opportunity at times this season to certainly give more of the youngsters a chance. And I mm. don't think Emery took it. Even like Joe Willett, you look at Joe Willett, you know, he, I'm not sure that Joe Willett's good enough to succeed at Arsenal. I do think he's made a big jump in quality this season when he's played and for the under-23s as well. But he scored two goals against Blackpool in the FA Cup. And what was his reward for that? He got, he had about two minutes at Huddersfield a month later and then his next start came on the final day of the season players look at that and think well what what do I have to do to to get a bit of a chance because mm. you know Ramsey was out for a while Joe Willock is a goal scorer in midfielder and Arsenal have been 
crying out for wingers. They've got two really talented wingers in it, just below it who have been doing the business in under-23s football, and yet they're not getting a look in yeah. when others others aren't really contributing uh, goals or assists from that position. Sure. So I, I think you're going to have to, at some point, if you want to keep hold of these players, you can't not play them. You have no, to start I, playing I, I them. I do agree. Too. I do agree. But I do, in some ways, uh, feel for Emery in the sense that, you know, it's his first season at the club, and, you know, to... To sort of go all in on youth when, look, you could say based on what happened, you know, he might as well have in some of the games given the young players a chance because some of the senior players didn't do it for him. But I can understand why a young manager or a young manager, a manager is kind of reluctant to throw in young players into high pressure situations. You know, and at times this season there were high-pressure situations. But in general, I absolutely take your point. And I think you're absolutely right when you talk about the best young English talent is being cherry-picked now. They're looking at the academy setups in England and they're really good and there's there's real talent there and they know that, uh, you know, particularly the big clubs like Man City, like Chelsea, like Arsenal, um, you know, it's difficult for players to make the jump, particularly at the, the top end, it's difficult for players to make the jump from um, from the academy to the first team because well you know they're going out and they're spending 50 60 70 million pounds on a player to play in well, their I, position you know? Dennis Suarez in yeah, no I I, I I agree I just, with you I don't I, get that sign in I, at all I mean I agree. Emery knew him he said to me I remember it was after the Blackpool game up Bloomfield Road when um it, it was all beginning to happen and I said you know where where's where does Suarez play, play how do you see him operate and he said oh he's a winger and he, he I mean I I knew he wasn't a winger <laughs> and he, he, I hadn't managed him for a year. It just seems really strange because he's not a winger. He's he's a player that Arsenal got plenty of, pretty enough on the ball, but he's not an out-and-out winger, which is what Arsenal needed, really. And yet you've got wingers sitting on the bench. And, and I know for well, absolutely know, that a lot of the young players at Arsenal saw, were annoyed with that Denis Suarez signing and felt it was another obstacle for them getting a bit of a chance. And, uh, you know, I don't want to harp on about J- John Jules and Amici. It's just the fact that these two are the of the current crop coming through, these two are out of contract in a year's time. And, you know, we're talking Bayern Munich, we're talking Lyon, you know, really big European clubs have absolutely made a, made their move for these two yeah. already. And they know what's on offer. And, you know, there's contract talks going on now between the club and, and those two. But you really fear, I really fear they're going to end up losing them. And it's going to be, you know, you've put all those years into investing them. And then just as they get to the age where they need to start playing now, if you don't start playing them, they're going to be off. So uh, mm. it's 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 a real noble thing, you know what Raúl was talking about, and we all want to see more academy players coming through. But if they're going, to, if that's the model you're going to you're going to take, and if you want to really start seeing the benefits of these these young kids now, you can't expect to just wait until they're twenty twenty one because yep. they won't. They'll be, they'll be long gone by then. You've got to now do it at seventeen eighteen. Yeah, another another uh, instance of where actions need to speak louder than words, and maybe you know what he's saying about. Um, highlighting the importance of the academy is to try and hammer home to these guys that yes, you know, we will give you an opportunity um, as they try and negotiate new contracts with him uh, or with them rather. So look, we'll wait and see. It's it's promising to be uh, a very interesting and busy summer. Of course, we do have the Europa League final on Wednesday. Charles, thank you for being here and listen, uh, safe and relaxing travels uh, there and back. Hope you have a great time. Yeah, relaxing, I'm not sure is the right <laughs> word, but <laughs> hopefully uh, it's all worth it. We get to see Arsenal lifting that trophy on, a, on Wednesday. Absolutely. Thanks a million, man. Cheers, Andrew.
Hey y'all, it's Matt Marr here, a.k.a. Maddie, And Poodle, a.k.a. Jake Anthony. And we host the podcast 90 Day Gays. We sure do. And Poodle, I'm excited because Christmas is here. Aren't you excited? With Best Christmas Ever on AMC Plus, every day feels like it's Christmas morning. Oh, wow. They got all my favorites. The year without a Santa Claus. You know, I've always felt a kinship to Heatmiser. He was just misunderstood. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And y'all, AMC Plus is available on all your devices. So celebrate the best Christmas ever anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you very much indeed to Charles. You can find him on Twitter at Charles underscore Watts. That's at Charles underscore Watts. And safe travels to him to and from Baku. And of course, to any Arsenal fan who's listening to this, who is making the journey, I doff my cap to you. It's going to be time consuming. It's going to be costly. It's going to be tiring. But hopefully... Your uh, loyalty and dedication will be rewarded by uh, a return journey during which you can reflect on the fact that Arsenal have won a European trophy for the first time in 25 years. I suspect it will offset a little bit some of the travel weariness uh, if that's the case. So fingers crossed and good luck to all you guys. And uh, I'm sure you'll represent the club brilliantly out there, even if there are far, far fewer Arsenal fans going to that game uh, than there should be. it is something, of course, we're going to cover on the Arsecast Extra on Monday. James and I will preview the game, I guess, and take your questions as usual. A reminder that if you want to sign up for our Patreon, you get extra podcasts, you get ad-free Arsecasts, you get a free audio book, you get live streams and all that stuff. Uh, it costs a fiver a month and it supports everything else uh, that we do on the site. So uh, if you fancy signing up, patreon.com forward slash Arseblog. If you're already a member, thank you very much indeed and i hope you're enjoying the extra stuff um i'm gonna leave it there because there is nothing going on this weekend there is no game to look forward to this is the second arse cast in as many days uh so hopefully uh over the course of these two shows uh, we put plenty of stuff in your ears that you like we will continue to do so but as ever until the next one take it easy cheers bye-bye
So you can see from the presentation I make that we need uh, many players to come in to the club this summer. We need a goalkeeper, right back, central defender, Josh, left back. what is this man's voice? I don't know, Dad, but I'm so scared. What are we going to do? He just won't stop talking in that voice. I have an idea, Dad. What if we give him lots of money to spend on new players? If we want to <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh, you're so funny. Where we all want to be. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.